Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, very pleasant good morning to you. This is Patrick Timpone. How are you? It's a beautiful uh, Tuesday morning here in Dripping Springs, Texas. Hope you're having fun where you are. We got out in the sun this morning and really nice time of the year. It gets cold at night, but then about up to 60 or 70. So our rainwater showers in the morning are it's kind of fun. Doing our Wim Hof thing. That's a trip. Lots of cold showers these days. Well, uh, we have uh, some great shows for you today. In about, uh, about an hour and a half, we don't have Howard for a real, real long time because, well, we don't, but uh, our first guest, but uh, and Charles Nenner will be here at 11.30 Central. And Charles was into the whole cycles and using AI for uh, doing predictions on financial markets and the stock market for many years. Nenner Research, cool guy, and he's it's really into the way he does it, it's so such a spiritual kind of a thing, the way he does it. And he's very accurate, too, with cycles and how humans keep repeating over things over and over again. So we'll talk to uh, Charles in about an hour and a half, and then he'll give us some ideas what, uh, what the market's going to do, according to his, all, his AI stuff. If you'd like to join us, you can call 888-663-6386. The email is Patrick at oneradionetwork.com. It's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I just noticed that. February 14th. First step is a fellow by the name of Howie. Oh, Howdy. It's a, is it Howdy or Holy Cow? I just noticed it was Howdy and not 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 Howdy, not Howard. Is your first right. name really Howdy? Right. Howdy, Howdy? That's what everyone has called me, yes. It's a... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, that's been my name since I've been a kid. Yeah, I'll be darned. Howdy, Makowski, and he's written a bunch of really cool books. Uh, uh, Falling for the Truth, The Power of Then. That's a great title, The Power of Then, and also uh, I think is your latest one about the cave, uh, uh, Howard. Howdy, it's at the cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. our graphic person put How- Howard Makowski because I guess they're so used to looking at it. You know, it's like. Yeah. yeah. So, how are you? Uh, you're in Norway, so it's what about seven o'clock there, or something? Six o'clock? Yeah, five o'clock for me now, and uh, we're still getting a little bit more sun. It's been um, it's been a, a, a mild winter, which uh-huh. is great for this part of the world. And um, yeah, doing my best to stay sane in an increasingly insane reality. And yes, it is. Well, I'm glad it's not my reality. It's, I'm just visiting. Um, <laughs> how do you deal reality that that thing we call the matrix or the world out there how does how do you, um, integrate with that or not integrate how do you do it it's a good question um, the first step I think well for me it was I took a good eight years 25 years ago testing it I, I spent a lot of time actually from the I, I was really lucky that I had some very good teachers, a Zen, a Zen monk from Korea, a um, number of native Indian medicine men at the time in, in Canada. And they wanted me to test reality, to prove to myself if it was real and if it was solid. And I did that for the course of about eight years, and it failed miserably. So once you start to realize that reality is not actually uh, solid, solid, it's not actually what we think it is, you, you, you have to start 
operating in a slightly different way and and it's kind of to be in it but not in it at the same time yes sir be in the world but not of it that's the great line that the teachers use in the world but not of it my teacher used to say with your head in heaven and your feet on the ground or something like that it's the same same idea well, none of this yeah, is real, though, Howard. Well, well that's, that's kind of. I know what they. I know what they're trying to say because it sounds nice, but in reality, it's about seeing the, just seeing that. Well, what exit the cave eventually became, what what this work became over twenty five years, which is to deal with this reality as best as you can with the majority of my. He just froze up. <clears throat> Obviously, you can't ignore the experience. You froze up for a moment. Uh, let me, let me, oh. I think, is your internet not happy? Or maybe mine isn't? Um, it's probably mine sometimes because I'm out in the countryside. So okay. once in a while, it will go on me, but it usually will be okay. Okay, you would, you would, uh, you would talk about uh, dealing with this reality. Let's pick it up there. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's again, it's a sense for me now of recognizing that um, once once you get to the point where your only interest is truth and you're no longer interested in holding on to beliefs or anything anyone else has told you, uh, you start to see that the material world is just, it, it's a screen. It's the best way to describe sure. it, right? It's just a screen in front of you. And um, so where do you want to put your energy? Where do you want to put your focus? And as I was saying, the, the reality requires some of this attention because we are having an experience in it at this moment. Right. But that doesn't mean it should take the majority of our energy and the majority of our focus because then, um, then, it's, then, it's, then it's really trapping us, which is what this place does. It's a great distraction machine, mm. getting us to focus on it rather than inward, which is where the focus should be. Well, isn't that its job, trying to trick us into believing in it? And it does a very good job, doesn't it? <laughs> for a lot of people, not me, I don't think for you. Um, I, I, you know, it's, nothing is solid. You know, you talked about uh, how to eat solid. The body is not solid. My body is not solid. Uh, it, uh, it was, well, of course... That was in a particular time. Things have become much more solid. I mean, it was it was at the point for a while when I was at the height of that part of my work where I had to hold on to chairs when I would sit down because I wasn't sure it was still going to be there. Hmm. It had literally gotten to the point that things would just appear and disappear constantly. People, everything. And that was, it was very challenging for a while, of course, because it was... It's, it's like I was in, I had, we have a sense of control and, you know, I pick up the cup and we think it's a cup, I'll drink from it. But back then I wasn't sure the cup would be there, what would be in the cup, if it was full anymore, if it was empty, if it didn't exist. So it's, uh, in one sense, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore because it was very challenging to live like that. But it was, I'm grateful for the, for for seeing reality sort of as as an just as an energetic form or as filaments of light, right? As Castaneda might have described it, or right. and um, what, what's so great for me? So many people when they hear stuff like this, I mean, oh well, you must have done a lot of drugs when you were younger. No, this was um, this was all done by exercises and suggestions made by the people I was with, which was all about 
learning how to alter your own consciousness and alter it in safe, controllable ways. Uh, I just allowed myself to go as deep in a sense as you could go in it. Uh, but it was always it was always done through uh, exercises on consciousness itself. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, drugs are trap. My my experience a big yeah. trap. Yeah, don't you think it's just yeah. Hmm. Because if you don't know how you, see why, you're of course, I, going, the problem is you can see why people would want to use oh, them. Sure. You can see why why people get drawn to them. Sure. The problem is 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 they don't re, they don't recognize that as much as it gives, it takes something from you. Yeah. And it so it takes a long time for people to start to realize what it's taking. They only at the beginning see what it's giving. Right. I mean, you could just go back to when we were kids, or I don't know, and you could smoke marijuana, and you have one thought about this is you know, and you believe that thought. Well then, you're you're then you're done. You're in the mental realm, and you know, then, right, Howdy? Then you're then you're right. cooked, you know. And I I would challenge anybody to smoke marijuana and not think, you know. So, um, <laughs> but you did you so did you Howdy? Did you go through the drug thing just to figure out you didn't need it? You never did it. Never did it. No, it it happened one time as, mm. as an actually accidental thing. Yeah, when I was about twenty five or something, I didn't know that's what it was. It was right. like you know in some food that had been given. Ah, and so I had one experience, enough to know what that experience is like. Uh, so when others would talk about it, I could at least associate with what it was. Right. But as soon as it was, as soon as it, it ended, that, that like the next day, I knew I, this, this is just not something I want to do again. It sure. was I, because I didn't like I didn't like the fact that I wasn't in control. That was the part I, I I disliked the most. It was there was interesting stuff that came from it, but it was so different once the once the medicine teachers, for example, that I met began to teach me how to have similar conscious altering experiences, but always be in control so that if I wanted to just stop, stop. and return to this reality, I could instantly. Yes. So for me, I, maybe maybe that even uh, drew me in even deeper to those exercises and those experiences because I'd had that one test and didn't like the test and saw okay this is something that's giving that can give great opportunity but still keep your control yes sir what is your experience now howdy when your body sleeps what what goes on for you when i sleep when your uh, body sleeps not when you sleep well <laughs> yeah it's a good question one of the things i've started to notice is um it's twofold one, uh, maybe you, you'll recognize this yourself. Mm -hmm. There will be a lot of dreams I would have that I wake up from in the morning and I think, oh, I, I was dreaming about that experience that happened when I was, you know, 20 or 21 and I start going on with my day. But then I start to realize, wait a minute, that experience didn't happen to me when I was 21 or 20. But yes, it did. No, it didn't. And I would, would I still have these battles of, is that a real experience or not? We're starting to recognize that, more and more i'm sort of crossing into parallel realities when i sleep more and more often i'm having experiences which are mine but are not mine from the body that's being lived right now but still in a similar body still in sort of not i wouldn't say this life but a life that could have happened to me and they're so i realize the realness but i also realize but it's not me either from this reality is that something you get quite often or, or have that in your, you know, in your sleep? Uh, yeah certainly I don't know. The dream thing for me, Howdy, is um, I as soul, you know, just leave the body when the body sleeps because I'm not going to sit here in the center of my head and just look at the pillow. 
you know, I'm going to go somewhere. <laughs> and so for me, it's just experiences with other people and working out karma, but it's in another reality and I have a body and I visit my spiritual teacher. So, but I think it's real. I mean, I know it's real, these dreams we call dreams. I know it's just not the mind spitting spitting out stuff. I mean, I know that for sure. Right. I can't prove it, Howdy, but I know that. Is that what you mm-hmm. think? They're, they're real experiences. Yeah, right? that's part of, that's part of, yeah, that's part of what I get. Of course, the other part that I've noticed that I, I got for a while, and it was only by the awareness of it, it started to slow down, and that was, uh, again, what some people might recognize is you're having a dream, and there's someone in their dream that you know very well, uh, probably someone you haven't seen for years, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, close friend, family member. So you feel more open to them. You feel more, you try to connect, you're, you're connecting in the dream. And then I get up from the dream in the morning and I'm exhausted. I'm tired really? and I'm, 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 I'm grouchy and I've got terrible thoughts in mind. And I start to realize that's not what, what I was seeing in the dream. That's obviously some sort of parasitic entity that was using a mental screen of something that would appeal to me and draw me in, right? And was in a sense manipulating my energy within the dream. So I've come to realize that that's another thing that's going on a lot in our dream reality is that we are being manipulated if we're not really aware, if we're not, if we haven't sort of set up, I don't like to call them protection, that's a bad word, but if you haven't if you haven't put some boundaries around your, your sleep parameters, you're leaving doors open to a lot of stuff to be influencing you that you probably don't want. So that's also something I've had to learn over time now is that it's not just lay down and go to sleep. It's like, what is your preparation to lay down and go to sleep so that you can go to sleep uh, uninterrupted, you might say, so that the sleep can be whatever you want it to be, not what something external to you is trying to do or influence you while it's going on. So that's something that's occurred quite a bit over the last few years. Hmm. You know, the way I approach that, and I, we can go back to the reality, I don't think this uh, thing we call the matrix, you know, you look whatever governments, wars, you know, whatever you want to call it, the matrix, I, that's my fave, but we... Um, I don't think that it affects me. I know it doesn't affect me at all, Howdy, unless I, unless I um, become for or against it. You know, unless I don't want it, or I like it, or I don't want it. Um, if I stay neutral to it, then it just is no, it's like just looking at a sunrise. That makes sense. It is, of course, there's so many layers to that, but in one sense, yes, everything in the matrix or what what you would call Plato's cave or anything, however name you want to use right. it, is duality. And as long as duality exists, technically, as long as there's an experience, uh, the possibility even of an experience, it's you're in duality, right? As long as there's an experience, there's an experiencer. So it becomes quite challenging that as long as you, and, and as soon as you're in duality, you're in the matrix. You're just, in, there's so many, that's, I think, something that, that confuses people about Plato's cave or the matrix is that it's so vast. It's not just the material realm. It's the etheric realm. It's the astral realm. It's the mm-hmm. angel realm. It's the super duper realm. It's the void. It's everything. everything. It's a giant, <clears throat> massive, uh, giant trap of garbage is pretty much what it is and it's uh it's got so many levels of deception to play with us um that's something i really i was i had a much happier viewpoint of this place a long time ago i was much more what you would expect you might say of 
particularly someone who had touched unity, who had touched a, a sense of sort of a sense of totality. But I didn't realize that even within even within all of that, there are layers of tricks and deception, and and we're being we're not. The truth is being so bent. That's the best way to describe it. Truth is being so bent in this reality. And, and I mean the whole reality, all the layers of it. It takes quite a lot of inner discipline and yes. um, awareness to start letting those deceptions fall away. Yes, and sir. I guess that's, that's part of the reason I wrote uh, Exit the Cave, because I, I, I thought that's a message that doesn't get said very often. And it's something that I think that more more people than I thought were ready to hear it. And so I'm, um, I feel grateful that I've uh, that I'm able to put out a slightly different message than people will hear all the time. And again, not because I have all the answers, not because I know what's going to happen after we die, sure, not because I know wh- who and what created this realm, for sure. I have a thesis, like anyone, based on 25 years of my own work and my own research and my own experience as something that other people has an opportunity to think about. And that's all. It's just I share my stuff as a way of contemplation and thinking and coming to your own answers for yourself, um, but don't reject something because you dislike it. Don't accept something because you do like it. It's best just to let it come in, contemplate it, see where it fits in your own experience. Well, well said. I mean, isn't that our job to look and to see, yeah. and then to see how we relate to it as a spiritual being or not? And I don't want that. Or yeah, and it's a for sure challenge. Then what? The last twenty years with the internet, uh, you know. So many souls are just barraged by this and that, and you can jump on anything and get lost, go down black holes. It's it's challenging. Uh, yeah, it's so weird, isn't it? The we, of course we what we started before there really was an internet. Yes, so we, we started. You either had to read, you had to read a book. You had to, you know usually often get to the library and ask them for an interlibrary loan because you couldn't get it at your <laughs> own library. They had to bring it from somebody else. Or you had to go meet somebody who you thought knew something and sit down and, and spend time with them. It was a very different way of, of extracting information, a much slower way, a much more inclusive way. Yeah. Once the internet began to explode, it became like just, there. it's just stuff. And in one sense, that's great. There's lots of stuff available, but who and what is filtering that stuff and it's it's an unbelievable it's so easy that that can come in without the thinking process that you go through with a book or with a person so there's as many pluses as there are there's a whole lot of negatives to the to the package and um yeah it's a different world for say anybody who started a journey 2015 let's say or something like that that whole journey would look so different from, like, say, yours and mine yeah. because of, of the, the, the medium that's being used through it. Who, who are some of the people uh, how do you, that you um, read early on years ago, 30, 40 years ago? Who, who, who did you read that had an influence in your spiritual growth? Uh, way back then when I was just starting, because I had started, I came out of a deep depression. So I was oh, at the did. point of I was yeah. ready to kill myself yeah. in, in uh, 1997. Yeah. Yeah, I'd gone through a lot of, not, people had gone through way worse trauma than me. I certainly had my own life trauma. My father was a psychopath and he, he had stolen all my money before I went to university. I had an ex-girlfriend who was murdered. I had a number of things that just wow. sort of were plummeting me deeper and deeper away from trusting the trusting reality and in the depths of this uh, deep depression when I, I actually was i wanted to kill myself i just couldn't think of a, a nice clean way to do it that 
and it wouldn't be messy for the person who found me. And luckily, or luckily or whatever, a television program came on one uh, evening on Egyptian pyramid building, and I knew that's what I'm supposed to do. And uh, I, the depression was instantly gone, the energy was was at a level I'd never known before, and I began an in-depth study of the ancient world. And I was so lucky because I went to the library and I took out 12 books. I have a history degree, but I never studied the ancient world, so I had to start from scratch. So I just took 12 books out of the library, stacked them down. The second book I read was John Anthony West's Serpent in the Sky. And as soon as I had read Serpent in the Sky and had this sort of alternative viewpoint of ancient Egypt, I knew the, obviously, the mainstream archaeological story cannot be true. And over time, I, I actually, by time in Egypt and studying the rocks and studying the monuments, I could, for myself, explain why. But I knew right away hmm. where the where where I had to go. So, if I had to take some initial books, so first was with that for John West and 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 writers like him. I would say one of the second books that was was a, a, a opening was a book called Hermes Unveiled by Roy Norval which was about symbolism in mythology and symbolism in religion with the idea of if you can understand the symbols, you can understand the deeper messages and what you're looking at. And that helped open a doorway of studying, yeah, whether it be myth or or fairy tale or um, so those would be the those would be, I'd say, two of the first two books. And the third one uh, group would be um, the books of Carlos Castaneda, which gave me like a foundation of things to potentially try to do. And I, I didn't read the books. I attempted to do them. And like I say, I was very lucky to have met um, this this Korean monk, to have met some uh, Qigong doctors from China, to have met these native medicine, uh, medicine men on the reserve. So I was able then to take what was in some of these books, which were ideas, and watch what people who are really doing, uh, how it how it kind of looked and it really helped me to shape whatever practice i was choosing to do based on what i was seeing these people who you know lived in the lived in a very ancient way there you know no workshops no organizations they just they just did their thing and went home and, and stayed home and i was very fortunate to have these experiences uh, I was certainly tested very hard in these experiences, but 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 those were some of the books that were that influenced me, and then the books were able to be molded by the by the people I'd had a chance to meet into actual living practice. Hmm. Very interesting. Howdy, Mikowski is with us. We're going to take a quick little break here. Stay right there, Patrick Timpone. It is one radio network dot com. Um, we had a fascinating show yesterday with Thomas uh, Seafried. A uh, medical doc who's been looking at uh, cancer most of his life, and through massive research and funding from private individuals um, and 125 peer-reviewed papers, I mean, really highly credentialed fellow that they've come up and they they know he can show you exactly how the body creates cancer, and um, it's really fascinating. It ties in with the food. And what are the best foods and uh, how the carbohydrates and the sugars are a key ingredient to cancer growth. And since we've been looking at the whole uh, carnivore keto thing for the last six months or so, it's pretty fascinating, uh, this work that he's done. And um, you can look at it on BitChute and also look at it or listen to it on the front page of One Radio Network. And we did talk about it and we know one of the key ingredients here is to be able to detoxify these uh, metals and stuff that we get in from the air and the water and, you know, the food and whatever. No matter how careful we are, there's stuff coming in. And we detoxify by 
oh, doing things with the liver we talk about, but sweating is one of the, uh, the, uh, the ways it has been done since probably the beginning of time, and that certainly the American Indians did with sweat lodges, and uh, the Romans, and they did sweats. Sweats are very cool. They, uh, they detoxify the uh, kidney as well, because you can actually show that more heavy metals come out of the urine after a sauna than they did before. That's been proven. So that's interesting. Just the sweating process allows the body to detoxify arsenic or lead or whatever we get in from the air or the food or the water. In, in. So you sweat in the largest organ of the body. It's a very um, good technology. We have a, a unit that we've been promoting for, gosh, almost 15 years now, and it's the Relax Far Infrared Sauna. And uh, we have the best price you're going to get anywhere, twelve ninety five delivered in the lower 48. So um, email me if you'd like to get one of these guys. We are shipping one to um, British Columbia tomorrow. And we ship them to Canada as well, all over the world, and with the proper plug, of course. So there you go. Just email me, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com. Here's Gerald Pollack. He talked about it when he was on. Here's physicist, biologist, chemist, Dr. Gerald Pollack on Far Infrared Saunas. Infrared uh, energy is what builds this fourth phase of water. And the idea of a sauna, you know, you go in and you sweat and you, you receive this infrared energy and you feel great after you, uh, after you come out. I felt uh, the same, and so have so many people. And most of us think, well, you know, it's just uh, some sort of psychological issue, and it, 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 it might be. However, experimentally, we know that infrared energy builds the fourth phase. Your cells should be, or should be filled with this fourth phase, but, uh, but you know, we're, we tend to be somewhat dehydrated uh, and missing some of this, this fourth phase. And so what happens is if you subject yourself to infrared, the infrared is absorbed by your body, absorbed by your cells, and it converts ordinary water to fourth phase water, and then you feel better. How cool is that? I think it's cool, Patrick. I'm going to interrupt here. Pretty interesting concept. Uh, Pollock has done a lot of work with the fourth phase of water. So there's all kinds of good things that go on with infrared. So check it out. Email me if you'd like to get one. About, well, three and a half years ago, we got introduced to a technology that is, you know, we've been, oh gosh, um, exposed to all kinds of contraptions and doing talk shows for over 50 years. You can imagine people send you stuff because they want you to promote it, right? And, you know, potions and pills and contraptions. And this uh, hydrogen technology is probably uh, the most powerful technology ever that I've done other than, you know, God, which is everything. That's what I work with, Divine Spirit. You get everything you can, you need from Divine Spirit. But, you know, you might as well have a little, few little tools around to play with. But you don't need it. You can just go straight to Spirit and do it all. But, you know, we have some stuff to play with. This is a divine, uh, divine, I got divine in my little mind there. It is the holy hydrogen, close to divine. And it's uh, one of the best ones that we know of available in the world. It's a Japanese technology, and they are all over hydrogen, uh, much more than any country on this earth plane. And they actually have hydrogen in ambulances when people have heart attacks and stuff or strokes. Hydrogen has been shown to help people heal from uh, stroke events better than any uh, molecule 
ever. One of my teachers, Rebazar Tars, in a book, Dialogues with the Masters, talked to Paul Twitchell, uh, who uh, was his chila at the time, and told him that hydrogen, the book is great, I, I have it, hydrogen is the, the, the number one molecule that divine spirits manifest in physical reality is hydrogen. Do you know that? It's pretty cool. It's on both sides of the uh, periodic table if that floats your boat, the only molecule. So it's very powerful. It's a food. It is chi. It doesn't kill anything. Or it doesn't. People email me to, well, will the hydrogen kill my parasites. No, it doesn't do that. It's just a food. It's just like being out in the sun. It's like talking to God. It's like absorbing uh, the ether spirit. Uh, that's what it is. It's very, very profound. So what we do is you can drink the water and make hydrogen water and then breathe the gas. And that's what you do. And it's very quiet. And you can I breathe it as much as I can. I'm working on my screenplays and just I breathe, breathe, breathe. So check it out. It's on our website. Use promo code one radio for $100 off. I think you'll find it. Um, you know, th- this is not something that you're going to do for two or three months and all of a sudden, you just don't know what's going to happen as you get more energy and more chi and more mojo and more love, you know, essentially what it is, your body's liable to do anything. We don't make any claims, but um, I think it's uh, well worth your consideration. And one of the reasons we changed to this one about three months ago uh, from the other one is because you can then um, uh, pay over time. And that's what you were asking to do that. There are a couple thousand dollars. So, it's good to be able to just do a 12-month deal, 200 bucks a month, send me the hydrogen and pay them and pay a little interest and have some fun. Use debt as a blessing, you know what I mean? Check it out, Holy Hydrogen on OneRadioNetwork.com. I think you'll have a good experience with it. Uh, I certainly do, and um, these are just some of the tools that we are very lucky to have at our disposal here. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is One OneRadioNetwork.com. With Howdy, sorry about the slide, Howdy. <laughs> My graphics person put Howard, Howdy Makowski, his latest book, Exiting the Cave, Ending the Reincarnation Trap. So so is this an idea, I haven't read the book, but it's an I, I kind of get the idea that when you exit the cave and you grow up spiritually and you become more aware, self-realized, or God, then you... Your idea is that you can then fall out of the trap to have to come back here or reincarnate again. Is that the essence of the book, or did I read too much into that title? I would say not so much. It has nothing to do with perfecting yourself. It has to do with seeing that year uh, we are we are a divine. Uh, we are divine. Uh, let's call it a divine spark that has been. Um, well, trapped well, that in, is perfecting yourself to know that we are God. I mean, that's maybe I, that was the wrong word. Uh, well, Sorry. I, again, I would disagree with that. Well, it's it, it's so it's so tricky to try to say this in words, right? And it's um, well, we're soul. Well, we I become aware become, that we're soul, and then we know that we are spiritual beings. You can call that perfection, but you know, I mean, I'm not. You know what I'm saying? In a sense, in a sense, however, it's so again, it's so tricky because the layers of the layers of the lie are so deep that even these ideas tend to get uh, tend to get mixed up generally in the way people look at it. You get mixed up about um, it. You get mixed up about it. 
still yes Do because you? it's uh mm -hmm. because because we've been lied to about everything and we've been lied to even about <laughs> even about the most spiritual uh spiritual ideas that have been presented to us and so like i say the, the this new book which is which is so different from my others because once i decided to after i wrote uh, exposing the expositions and wrote about the the world fairs of the 1800s and the sort of the lies of history yeah, yeah. i wanted to write, i wanted to write about yeah, it's like it's like how can they lie about all that stuff i played your your video that you had with dr cohen yeah. that's how i found out about you but um we won't go yeah. into that now but go ahead sorry to interrupt no because it, it, it is such a, it is such a it is such a massive lie and it's like how how did how did we not see it before that that's also what's so amazing to me is, oh, yes. and as a as a historian how did i not see that uh, <laughs> you know when i was looking into this years ago um is there anything we haven't been lied about to... is there anything we haven't been lied about that you've seen anything i don't think so i don't think actually so i don't think so <laughs> and in one sense that's freeing because then it means we're free to dump everything we've ever been told and start fresh yes sir. and um begin begin a true complete journey but it's so i can certainly speak for myself what the, there's a lot of stuff that's easy to drop there's a lot of false that's easy to let go of there's other false that is especially the false that feels good boy that's that's hard to let go of because once you once you let go of that now you're left in this uh, total place of no foundation and i know that's for people that can be so challenging and they 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 hold on to things just so that they feel they something they have to hold something on to yes rather yes, than exactly yeah don't we come yeah. to the point where the only so, thing we can uh, hold on to is ourselves as soul and our relationship with spirit and then it's we we get to do what we want as long as we don't mess with people well that's a lot of what the book is discussing is is, is there's that part of it and then there's and then we're going to die and then you're then you're going to have an experience that I think we have been if there's if there's a big lie we've ever had that's one of the biggest lies we've ever been given because and you that had a near death that experience you had a near death or you want I don't know if you want to call it that but you drowned or was drowning right what tell us about that right. and what was your experience when that happened and when was that because that that was very different from what what I write about in the book because mine I never actually left the material realm but huh. it was very important for for my understanding of the self so before i had gone into that experience that happened in 2005 i'd gone through the work i talked about before so reality was no longer real but i was still real right i was i was still real but reality was, was false and then i fell into this uh, river near a canyon in um, in alberta canada and realized that this is where i was going to die it was it was heading for a while i was actually heading over a waterfall wow and uh, the largest thing and I, I knew in a few seconds i would be dead and um it was an acknowledgement of that i was going to die and it was fine it was, it was that was a very important part of it was the was the complete acceptance of it was fine and i had i had no reason to stop it and try to make it happen again in the in the total acceptance of it everything fell away that i would classify as me mm -hmm. so there was no longer thoughts experiences fears hopes dreams uh everything was gone and all that was left was what i would call it like a witnessing experience or or like an awareness that's all that was there an awareness there was of, also clusters right. yeah yeah 
Yeah. And and there were and there would be clusters of information is how it would come up. It wouldn't be thought. It would just be like clusters that would like explode kind of in front of your mm-hmm. your viewing mm-hmm. and be instantly known. At the same time I I had got what I've only described as like a download where like it felt like a stick was placed in like my head <laughs> and a whole bunch of data was just dumped in there. Yeah, and now and I spent like the last 20 years or so trying to find uh, trying to find the the files on my internal hard drive of what actually got put in there, and so that that's <laughs> like a lot of the books I've written since then are just me tracking the, the data from that experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the powerful part, the, the changing part that came out when I did obviously I, I did get out. I was a friend had fallen in with me, and just before I went over the falls, I had the thought, well, if I don't get out, how is he going to get out? And at that point, I hit a boulder with my leg, realized it wasn't as deep as I thought it was. We were moving at great speed, but it wasn't as deep as I thought. And I was able to dig my feet barely into into like the bottom of the riverbed and crawl out just before the waterfall. And as soon as I was, I was crawling out and I was yelling to him, he crawled out as well. But what I realized in sitting there was from the experience, it was the, the, the last, that holding part, the I am real or I am a real being. You know the thing I see in the mirror—that's still real. That was that was officially gone. That didn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. And in, and also what I would classify at the time as personality—that was also completely destroyed. There was none of that left. And it led first to six months of incredible freedom and incredible clarity. But like anything, uh, egoic structures can play a lot of games, and you think they're gone, but they're just reorganizing. And they reorganized in a very different way. And I'll share this, I'll share this idea with it for people who if someone's had this experience themselves, what happens, I find, at least in my experience, was if you can see the screen, I guess you're seeing me on a screen yeah, now. I can see you. In an experience like this, you get the totality will flash to a part of the screen. Like a part over here gets it's completely shown to you. But because totality is a is a hologram, you're kind of seeing all of the hologram at the same time as well. You're seeing everything, but it's only flashing the light on one part. But you get tried, at least I got tricked in thinking, oh, I knew everything. Mm-hmm. I know I know it all because I've seen it all, but I've really only seen the flash of light on a part, you might say, of the hologram completely. And it took a long time for me to start integrating the the honesty of that, of being able to share what was truthfully came from the experience and not the parts of like, well, this could be, I'm not sure, I think it might be, as opposed to this is what I know. And that took a while to really learn how to um, trust that in myself, that it, it's okay to not know everything, because that was part of the draw after such an experience. I know it happens to a lot of people, right? They'll call it being drunk on emptiness, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, there's a whole lot of sort of names for it. Um, and once you've gone through it, you know what it is. And it's taken, it took like 10, 10 or almost 12, 15 years to get comfortable with that and be able to be at a place like this where I can talk now. If you had heard me talk about this 12 or 14 years ago, it wouldn't have been smooth like this at all. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to get just stop along the way and think, well, this is it, right? And this is how religions were formed, yeah. I guess, over the years, right? <laughs> some some guy came up, well, okay, this is it, and then they form a religion, and and who knows? Um, let me let me read this email. Let's see. Um, I'm not sure who this is from. Doesn't say. But since since Howdy thinks there is so much deception, I'm guessing Howdy's view is that a lot 
of these near-death experiences on, say, YouTube, are people that we even, that, that, or the people that have been deceived after leaving their body, does Howdy believe any of the NDEs he's heard of from people who have been deceived? Also, what is his thoughts on Akashic Records from Darla? Hmm. That's an excellent question, and that's a, it's a it's a component of the book I've gone through, and so it's a fair. I'll try to explain it as simply as I can for okay. you. Um, so the near death experience, and we're very lucky because there are yeah there are thousands of them now on the internet that sure. are being uh, presented on various uh, social media platforms. There's a there's a website I think it's called NDE. Uh, rf or something.com it has like thousands of people's near-death experiences so i've looked through and read a lot of them now there there's a 85 percent of them tend to be very very similar uh it's what most people would think of this is what a near-death experience is it usually includes white light tunnel um mm -hmm. uh, overwhelming feelings of love uh jesus dead grandma mm -hmm. uh, life review being told it's not your time and having to go back that's 85% of them in some way cover that that piece of it. What's challenging is usually someone who has that near-death experience, and I, I, believe all, I believe all of these experiences are genuine, first of all. I, I fully believe they're all genuine, and I'm never trying to belittle anyone's experiences at all. I'm just, you know, we're trying to get the truth with it. Um, those people come back into this reality, and they, they transform. They become better people, generally. They become more loving. They become kinder. They become less egoic. And you think, this is great. This is the greatest thing ever. And however, there are another 15% of experiences that are very, very different, that present a an experience nothing like that at all. And in fact, I now see the standard near-death experience. This is how I would describe I describe it like being in the in the waiting room of the dentist's office. Hmm. Um, you're you're in a place that's fairly comfortable. It's fairly it's set up just for you. That's very important. These are set up just for the people that are having them. There's nice magazines, but not many of those people actually crossed open the door and went into the dentist chair. And I think some of these fifteen other fifteen percent I talk about in my book are probably much more genuine of going deeper into the death experience because remember it's a near death experience so in a sense these beings who tend to be quite deceptive when you're when when you break in these even the ones that are standard there's so much deception in those as well they tend to overlook them they tend to they focus so much on the feeling particularly this feeling of love which I think is acting a bit like a drug, and it's 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 confusing people a lot. So, to simplify all of this for people, so you know, you can read my book if you'd like to know more. This is the this is the the suggestion that I've come to now about our preparing because I think it's important we prepare for our our death and prepare for our near death our death experience, and that is to stay in your own authority, sovereign to yourself, sovereign in your own power and take your time allow yourself to not be rushed into anything not be pushed into anything not be um magnetically pulled into anything give yourself time to really decide what you want to do in the after death state what how you want how you want that to be and if it's you want to enter the white light and you want to reincarnate and you want to return to this light great that's your choice but i think so much of these experiences are the person there was no decision process it's like it just it just they were almost pulled into it dragged into it magnetically 
you know, there's, and I think the one of the greatest gifts we can give to ourselves is the ability to say, I'm going to wait for a while, and I'm going to really contemplate and know for sure what it is I want to do in this transformative moment. So to me, that's if there's a message that comes out of all of that with the near-death experience, it's just that. It's to, we have more power than we ever possibly can imagine. The, the power with the divine spark, as you say, with the spirit within, is so beyond what we can imagine. Why not learn how to take advantage of that, not just now, but in this transformative moment, so we can be what we want it to be, not what potentially some other being is going to have in store for us. Oh, that's, that's well that's said. That's the simplistic answer. And, and I would I would argue that any other being, if there is another, which I don't think there is, I think it's all one, but any other being that wants you to do something, I don't think I would hang with them anyway, because that's just a spiritual um, sin, you know? Well, you don't want to, you know what I'm saying? Any any teacher or entity or energy that wants you to do something that you don't want to do, I would, you know, I'd, I'd leave. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hang with them again. But that's the yeah, but the issue is, of course, when you when you go through these experiences in detail, ninety nine percent of the experiences just follow along with what they're told. Either these beings are so wonderful, they're so full of light, they're so they're so much bigger than me, they're so much greater than me. I'm so small. I just yeah, how could I yeah, how could all, I not listen? Not to it? So so no, and that so I that's something that I wanted to try to share about this is that so that's, people uh, we need to be ready yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, we need to be ready for that. When I talk about deception, that's one of them of just not letting us see the power and the strength that we actually have, and that's that is a type of deception. Well, that's part of your work and why you write the books, right? So people can right. can get some kind of training with this because people don't teach this. I mean, we don't learn this stuff and. As people like you are you know, writing about it and thinking about it. That's that's great. Uh, here's an email for you. Many Christians believe that psychics are really communicating with entities that are pretending to be our dead loved ones. Though I'm not a practicing Christian, I also believe that whatever these things are, entities, they are impersonating dead loved ones. These entities do seem to have very personal information about us, though. Does Howdy also think they're familiar? These are familiar spirits tracking, tricking us. Another very good question. You've got uh, really good quality people giving <laughs> you questions, there, Patrick. Um, I don't know. So great to be, yeah, great to be here just to get these questions. Uh, I would mostly agree with that. Yes, unfortunately. Um, one of the things you see in a lot of these experiences that so many people who have this 15% talk about is the beings that we meet in the near-death experience tend to what they would call read our screen memories, which is similar to the our own personal Akashic, Akashic records. Record. Learn everything about us. Yeah. Know then, because they know everything, they know, well, what's the form or what's the thing, what's the presentation that will make us the most feel the most calm or the most uh, the most trusted and they will put that in front of us. So when we when we now take this back to the idea of okay, a psychic or a medium, how do then the psychic says, "Oh, I'm talking to your dead grandmother." How do we know for sure that's what's going on? Even if we can do this experience ourselves, how do we know for sure we're talking with our dead grandmother? Because we have the there's this akashic records around us that if anybody can just plug into it, well, they can have the same memories and knowledge we have. Because one thing I find very inter always found interesting long before I wrote this book was 
how come when when someone contacts say my dead uncle let's say how come one of the first things the psychic doesn't says is oh by the way i'm talking to your uncle he says you still owe him five dollars for that uh, bet that you made in 1984 and he's really upset about it and he wants his five dollars but since you can't give it to him why don't you give the five dollars to somebody who needs it on the street and we'll call it even stuff like that you know mm-hmm. that kind of stuff never comes up we never hear we never hear these little tidbits that would make us go oh yeah yeah, he's still upset about that. No <laughs> one's ever upset with us anymore. No one's ever, you know. It's so interesting that it, it they, they've, it, it's also, and that's why it tells tells to me probably there's a, again another type of possible deception going on. So again, the question being, don't believe it, don't disbelieve it. Find ways to um, come to a conclusion yourself. You have to, right? I mean, that's all you have is your own. Uh, all your own. That's, that's what you. That's what you got. I, I, and if someone's asking, well, how do you do that? How, what's a way to do that? I can give you a, 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 a thing, a testing thing you can start putting into your life. And that's, so I would suggest start using commitment. As with, uh, Richard Rose, who was one of, the, one of the teachers I later on became so enamored commitment. with because his teachings were so simplistic. Commitment is so is so powerful because once, you've, once you say you will, do, you will do something and you follow through and you do it, What's happening is is you're blocking so many negative um, negative points in your life that will try to stop you from completing what it is you want to complete. Rose himself, when he first hmm. began teaching, he had a he had something he'd set up every Friday night, and every Friday night, one of his kids or his wife would get really really sick, and he had to cancel the event. And finally, he said, "I don't care if you're dying on the floor with gunshot wounds. I'm going on Friday night to do my talk," and all of a sudden, the illness has just stopped. So once you once your commitment to anything is stronger than yet you will follow through with it a lot of things in the universe that are you might say um, testing points will just fall away because you've you've shown it so start simple say well commitment start small say I'll I'm gonna wash the dishes for the next seven days before I go to sleep at night it sounds simple and then do it for seven days wash the dishes you have now completed something you've said then make a bigger commitment and eventually if you want to stop smoking or stop drinking or do whatever you'll be able to do that too because you've learned the power of how to keep your commitment that's very powerful i appreciate you saying that because um i I talk about it with people exercising and diet that the more we do what we want to do and are committed to the stronger we get spiritually right we just get stronger because we well i could do that you know I could do that. Yeah. So I like the, that that right. washing the dishes thing before bed is brilliant. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a big thing, just anything, right? No. Yeah. Just anything. And but for a few days, you know, I'm going to walk around the block once uh, right. once a day for seven days. It's going to be as simple as that. Yeah. But you keep your commitment no matter what, and you do it. And then eventually, yeah. If you want, if you're eventually, if your deepest questions, I want to know God. I want to know what happens after I die. Whatever. Well, that's a commitment. You'll keep that too. But we learn, we make those commitments, like you kind of say, with whatever, by learning how to make the small ones first, yeah. and holding and holding to them. And then it becomes great because we learn not to just say yes instantaneously. Are you coming to my party on Saturday? Oh, of course I'll come to my party. We know we're not going, but we say it anyway. <laughs> and now then we have to go through guilt and concern, and, and now we're just honest. Well, maybe let me think about it and let me get back to you. And before we say yes, we know I have to make sure it's a yes because if I say it, I gotta go. So it's also a, a chance to learn honesty, to learn courage, to learn all of these things all fit into living a life of commitment. That's well said. Here's another one for you. I recently lost a parent. 
I am deep in grief. Besides this, I truly believe I was born to my parents because I was supposed to help them. I've always had a very strong connection to both of them and felt a need to help them. I'm so tempted to visit a psychic or someone to help me reconnect since many psychics are bogus or talking to deceptive entities. What other ways can I reconnect to um, newly newly departed loved ones? Yeah, there, there's a challenging question because the, the first, it has to fit into a couple of, couple of things. One of the first questions you'd want to know for yourself is what is it you most want in life? Like what is it? What is it that is your is your main pathway or your main focus in life? That already will start to tell you how you want to what you want to do in your life. If you're missing that, my first suggestion is find out what it is you want, because then you would know once you, if you know what you want, then you would know is is contacting um, deceased parents or deceased loved ones of any kind is that valuable to my path like it might feel like it's what you want to do but if you're if your path is going here and you realize that connecting with them would be there then that's not a good thing to do because it's not really it's not matching where it is you want to go so first know where does you want to go and then see if that kind of action is something that fits it first if it does if it does fit i would see to try to find ways of uh, learning how to do it yourself if that's important by sitting in stillness um, finding different ways to yeah again open your consciousness alone and not ha- again not have to put your focus on something outside of yourself to do it for you it might take a lot longer but at least if it happens then you know it's more genuine because it came from yourself and you know how you got there i mean you're conscious of the process that's that's right. the beautiful thing. That just, just like what we were talking about yeah. drugs. Same thing. Same thing. It, it, it's, a, yeah. it's a longer process to learn how to do any of these things yourself, but then it's your process. You've learned it, and in fact, if needed in time, you can teach it to someone else. Yeah, because it's real. If anything, anything that's outside kind of getting involved in it, then you question whether or not it's real, right? Because, Of course. Yeah. And you... And it's it's. I have this story. I'll share this story about prayer with everyone because I yeah. think this is a valuable story too for what we're talking about. Is, um, of course, I learned from the native Indians and all sorts of others how they pray, which is of course they say thank you as opposed to asking for something. Yeah. So I thought I understood native prayer, but recently as I wrote the book and I began to realize prayer is generally about giving our energy to something outside of ourselves with the hopes that that whatever it is will give us back what we want. It has this strange outside of ourselves. I said, why don't we pray to ourselves? So I spoke to a native, another native medicine man that I still have a connection to, Jerry, and I mentioned that to him. And he said, well, I'm going to share a story with you. He said, about 20 years ago, there was a big drought that was happening in New Mexico or Arizona, and they tried to get some native medicine men to come out and pray for rain, and it never worked. So they finally asked a different medicine man from somewhere up north to come down. He came down, did his ceremony, and it rained immediately. And they asked him, why did your ceremony work when all the others didn't? And he said, oh, the other medicine men were praying for rain. Um, I just prayed rain. Meaning, when you pray for something, it means it's not here. And so I realized, I said to Jerry, so what he did is he first became rain. So it was not medicine man praying to rain. It was rain praying to rain. So the only thing that existed was rain. So the only thing that could happen was rain. And he said, yeah, that's pretty much it. 
So I did that the next day where I was going, it was blueberry season. So I go up picking blueberries at that time of the year. And of course, I would always leave my offering. I'd leave my gift, my thanks to the blueberries and thanks to nature. But this time I decided, okay, I'm going to become a blueberry first. <laughs> so I spent 15 or 20 minutes becoming a blueberry. Becoming when a blueberry. I finally <laughs> felt, I, I think I'm a blueberry. Yeah. Then I made the prayer. When I went into the forest, there was more blueberries than I could possibly pick in days. And it was like, this is one of the great secrets of prayer is become what it is you're praying to. And then you don't, you don't have to ask for anything outside of yourself. You just connect with what it is you've become. It's, it's so simplistic, but it's such a powerful changing tool to how we interact with the, with reality. Yeah, really nice story. And, uh, you know, I resonate with that. I mean, there's only now, so what are we going to get what we want our pony tomorrow? So we, we have to accept the pony as it is right now. And here's the pony. I am the pony, or however you want to do here's it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. And, and plus, Howard, how do you know? We're, we're not separate from any of this stuff, right? There is no separation between any of it. We are the pony, or we are the blueberry. So I think that's great what you did with the blueberry batch. You figured that out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's one from Gary. Some people claim to practice... Oh, claim to practice leaving their body, a.k.a. astral projection. What does he think about this? Um, it's one of those things I think do have some value. I think it can be helpful to when we move into an after death, because we know we're, we're going to die. That That's going to happen. And we're going to have a transformative moment. And when that happens, the physical body will be gone. So we know we're going, and I've had, I've had experiences being out of my body. I write about them in some of my books and what that was like. And, and one of the challenges, I think, is if, if, we, if we're not prepared for what it's like to be consciousness without a body, um, it can be very confusing. So for small bits, I think things like lucid dreaming can be very valuable to just being used to knowing that you're in a dream state, being able to Experience have more it. control, not being mm -hmm. followed along. Yeah, maybe for some people it, it's doing some kind of astral projection or out-of-body work where you're getting used to having being a conscious, having consciousness without without um, being in a body. I think this can be helpful to not be surprised when the, the death state occurs. That we're kind of, It's something that you know, but like anything, these are things that are easy to be, uh, what's the word, traps for you, for us, because there's certain things that we could start potentially getting there, certain goodies that are available that might not necessarily be right for us or all that positive necessarily. So I think it's something we want to use as a tool of understanding, but not, let's say, as a, as some people might want to do it as a way of, uh, of, improve, of gaining power or gaining importance or gaining anything special from it. It's just, it's another tool, it's another thing to learn from, but no know when it's time to stop. I think that mm. would be a valuable thing with it. Is 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 it's okay to go and test it, but know when it's time mm. to stop and know I've got what I need from this. And that's all. In my opinion, with your experience in the river, once and I've gone through this, once you are not afraid of dying, that's a big deal. So did your life change you must pretty cool after you got out of the river and you knew that you weren't afraid of dying. Was that experience profound for you then moving forward? The best I could describe it for anybody to want to know what it's like, watch the movie Fearless by uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, I've, was I've seen that. 10 yeah. or 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah it, it literally, that is exactly what it was like. 
Now, most of 90% of the time, so that's positive because you have, there was no fear at all. What's the the worst that'll happen, right? There's 10% of the, yeah, but there's problems 10% of the time because you have no fear, it's easy to walk into doing something that's actually kind of stupid because it's like, because you have no fear, you're missing sometimes that logical uh, part of the brain that says, you know what, maybe this isn't the best thing right now. You should think (laughs) about that a bit. So I also did some kind of dumb things because when you have no fear, you have no fear. So it's uh, it took a while to almost start bringing the logic back in to start because when you're totally in no fear, if you don't have that little voice in there, yeah, you you can uh, you'll always be. This is one thing I noticed. Even though I, I made mistakes in this time period and and some and some mess was created, problems were created because. The intention was always clear. The intention of what I wanted to do at the time was always clear, but you might say the filter wasn't clear mm-hmm. always. So sometimes the intention was coming through an unclear filter. And so one thing I didn't do was I didn't integrate the experience long enough. It, it, you need a lot of time to just sit with it, to understand the changes that have happened to you. And I didn't do that long enough. And that was one of the reasons I had more challenge than some others who uh, there's a reason in, in the Zen monastery you spend years just sitting there after something like this because it gives you time to integrate it and understand the changes in yourself. Which is real important, right? Because then you really understand it yep. and know it and you're, you're kind of yeah, not flying around. Um, Paul yeah, wants and to... And you control that filter. Yeah, you control it. Yeah, go. Hi, I, um, hi Patrick and Howdy. What are Howdy's thoughts on past life regressions are, are there other forms? Are these other forms of deception? Can a session help us to make sense of what's happening in this lifetime? Wow, there, there's a hmm. again. I don't know because that would be valuable for potentially for each person. Uh, I can only speak for myself that once you begin to see that time is not linear, that it's circular then there's not really a past life per se or a future life. And therefore there's not really things in the past that are the real reason that things are happening in the present or so once you begin chewing apart this idea of cause and effect, the way way we've been told, I mean, once you start seeing effects can actually become before the cause, then the need I think to know details of a past life are, um, maybe not as important. To to me, anyway, I think before someone should study their past life, you should get to know your own life really well. Um, For me, I I learned how to do a life recapitulation, and it took me four and a half years to complete it, which was to review every moment of your life. And it was completely different than I ever than I thought my life was. It was it was a shocking experience to go through and see my life that I this body, this body's experience um, the way it really happened. So my my suggestion is recapitulate a good part of your own life first. Once you know this experience, then if you feel like you want to go and and explore deeper, you can. But you you may find you don't need to after doing that. Melanie wants to know, can Howdy give any insights on what the heck the corona debacle was about? Does he believe this is a reset? Is this a way to create a technocratic, centralized society? killing off much of the population. They got great questions here. Are they are they covering up for a pole shift? <laughs> wow. I even okay, I think it's even bigger than that. 
because a big way of how I understand what this reality is now, what this matrix reality is now, is is a a is an energy farm that the the beings who in a sense run this matrix are actually think of it this way. This is how I've come to see it. It's like they've built a giant computer simulation and then a massive simulation. Think how big this is. Think of the power it needs. So this is very diabolical. They figured a way to get the energy out of the things that are in the simulation itself. So the simulate mm. the things in the simulation, us, keep the simulation active and are going. So to me, when they use the term reset, because I use that word in my in my exposing the expositions long before this thing started in 2020. That book came out in 2019. So that really shocked me when that word came out. I think what if we think of a reset in terms of energy, that that's really what's going on. There's a I think there's certain times they they are they i don't mean anything positive i mean negative uh and amazing negative entities in this reality are restructuring the way energy and power is being um, manipulated and controlled and so if we i think if you look at what's going on now in terms of energy actually and all the all the material stuff is secondary i think you start to understand and see what's going on and i think that then means we regain even a greater understanding of our own power because I think it's happening now because there's a doorway open. There's a huge doorway of possibility and opportunity open, not like for humanity, not for the whole world, for individual Each person. Uh, souls, yes. individual people who want to take that step to a truly higher level. It's available right now, maybe greater than it's ever been. I've known people who have hmm. advanced, you might say, in three months, what used to take 10 years. I They've agree. just done unbelievable I see that work. too, Howdy, a lot. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. what's going on. Yeah. People just, it's, you know, it's, people waking up yeah. and... and, and and they said, you know, a month ago, I, I thought this, and I thought that, and I thought this. and So yeah. there's something happening. Going, going deep, on. and going really, really deep. Yeah, so I think if you see that this is partially a cover for all of that, <laughs> right. that gives you, I think, a greater inner strength to really push on your path to say, it's possible. I can... Yeah, I don't need 20 years. I can complete this in a very short period of time. It's also helpful, I think, to know that because if this is happening to friends of yours or family of yours, if they're actually jumping levels, they might be jumping so many levels so quickly, it becomes very difficult and confusing because normally it's a much slower process. So there's exactly. an integration. Right. And if you jump a giant, I see this a lot, they've made a big jump and then they're they're like out to lunch. They're just, they literally don't know what to do anymore because so much has dropped so quickly. So it's also a big chance then, if you know that, to be able to help somebody to say, yeah, well, I understand what's happened. I can share what's happened with you. And, and you need to just take a little break now and integrate it and you'll be fine. I think all of that, if we understand that's what part of what's going on, we have an opportunity to use the doorway that's there for us and those that we feel can be helped by the doorway and unfortunately we have to be again it's all about energy you can't save everybody you can't save the planet no. you can't fix it all you've got to use your energy very very wisely in 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 smaller groups with community with people that you know you have great transformative power now but if you try to spread it out too much i think you're going to waste it and i've seen a lot of people do that sure. they've wasted really good energy it happens all the time and i think you brought up a very interesting concept that i've been very big on in its entire lifetime is that when you find somebody that knows something that you'd like to know ask them they'll teach you they'll teach you yeah. 
And it's easy that way if you just surrender to that. You know, if you trust him, he'll teach you. And things can happen Usually. quickly then. Yeah, things can happen quickly then. Things can happen quickly. Because, but of course, as we know, this the spiritual it's a it's a spiritual marketplace for a reason. And there's also a lot of people here who have a little bit of knowledge oh, but understand. know how to package yeah. it in a no, big I, way. I and so like like Patrick is saying, <laughs> get to know the person you're interested in first and like he says, trust them. It's it, you know, it takes really get to know them to no, see I, do they do they deserve your trust. And we and we've all we've all, you know, jumped yeah. on little bandwagons of people saying, Boy, this guy is cool and you know, two weeks later you say, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. But we've all done that, right? Part of the deal. And to me, that's one of the biggest things that this three-year period has shown is that if someone is speaking, trying or presenting like they have the knowledge of ultimate truth, uh, they know, but they can't see the biggest lie that's been put in front of their face in the last three years. That they're talking about ultimate freedom, but they're not concerned with any losses of freedom within the material realm. That now poses a ton of questions about what does this person really have to share? And I think to me, a lot of spiritual teachers that might have been, they, 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 to me, they've just, uh, they've just dropped off the map now because mm. um, this is, this was an opportunity to separate the wheat from the chaff. This was the opportunity to find out who's, who really knows what they've got and who are those that are, yeah, they're just, they're just there for themselves. It, it's, it's been a, a long, egoistic sure. um, importance thing for the, and we've, so you've been able to separate a ton of that now, which is great because the, the ones you've been able to separate is being, I think these ones are genuine. They, 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 they're still, okay, you've, you've got something. Yeah. You've got something with them, but the rest, it's, you have to let them go. Well, it's a trip. I've let a lot go. It's it's a trip being here on the Earth plane, isn't it? Howdy. <laughs> it's pretty. Well, I know it's my last one. I'm sure as hell not coming back. Well, I'm, I'm doing everything I'm I can to be with, with you, brother. I'm not gonna. Yep. <laughs> I'm gonna blow this popsicle. Finish with it. Yeah. Yep. yep. Most most definitely, and uh, the little bits that I'm sharing with, with through the books and whatnot, if that helps somebody to to make some decisions like that for themselves. That's great, but I again, I don't want anyone to ever sit there and think I've got answers, and you should believe what I say openly. Just it's just an idea. It's just my it's my experience. It's my viewpoint of my very strange life that I've lived. You know, uh, I've had a very odd life, and um, take that take that for what it's worth. And but I'm it's so nice to hear such good questions. These are excellent questions that the people that you yeah. that have put these in for. And really I'm, I'm grateful for them. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I know you have to run. And uh, um, in Norway, do you all have a, a winter where it's like the sun doesn't get very high? Is that are you in that in that stratosphere geographical area? Not that I'm not that far north. But uh, for example, in the winter in the in the summertime, it never gets fully dark at night. So there'll always be a bit of light. And in the in the in the winter time, it will it will kind of get dark pretty quickly. So, the, what the weirdest is in the summertime when it's um, when it's uh, it doesn't actually get completely yeah. dark. Yeah. So it's, it it takes getting used to. Yeah. Actually. Do you think you're going to stay out over there in that part of Europe for a while? Um, the way the world is right now, and the way the situation is, we're comfortable. I think where we are, and just staying put and watching what reality is going to do. I think that's another important step. Here mm -hmm. is 
if it's something I can leave with people, if they, what, what, what would you like to say at the end? Kind of, okay, well, here's, here's a good thing I think that's helpful for people. And that is we're already seeing it. There's a lot of unexpected strangeness that's happening more and more and more, more and more crazy things are occurring. And I think that's going to continue. The best thing to be is not physically prepared. It's mentally prepared. The more prepared we are for the unexpected, then the more when anything unexpected occurs, we're going to be able to respond in a very clear way. If if you're not ready for the un, un, unexpected, you'll respond in a very um, you know emotional way. You'll respond in a very uh, reactive way. Yes. Sir. So just know anything could happen, hmm. and anything can even be prepared. Will. But if you are centered, <laughs> yeah, for sure, it's going to get crazy, get crazier. <laughs> but the more centered you are, the more likely you're going to make clear clean choice and that's all we can ask for is from yourself is is whatever whatever life throws at us can we make a clear choice that's right for us that's really good advice because as as this great awakening happening whichever you want to call it Audi as you just so eloquently said it's going to get just as great on the other end I mean that's just the way it is in the earth right it's just balance it'll just get bonkers <laughs> yeah, it could be ready it for will. the bonkers. And um <laughs> be ready for it, but know that again, like we said, be ready for that doorway that's available, that 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 great possibility that's waiting uh for us if we choose to walk into it. Yeah. So um that's where we are and I, I wish everybody I wish everybody well through this experience and uh, I want to say thanks for inviting me yeah, on and having me pleasure. having yeah. me join you today. You've been great, really fun. Howdy Mikowski, his latest book is called What's the latest book is called? I got it right here. Uh, Exit the Cave, Ex- Ending the Reincarnation Exit Trap. Exit the Cave, Ending the Reincarnation Trap. Oh. Yeah. Thanks, Howdy. You take care of yourself, all right? May the blessings be. Thanks, Patrick. Bye-bye. Take care. Cheers, my friends. Okay. Bye-bye. Pretty cool guy, huh? Uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun book to get for you. Exiting the Cave. I did bring it up, but... Uh, in screenwriting, it follows the hero's journey. I'm writing, I've written three screenplays, working on the fourth, and uh, around um, page 90 or so of 120, uh, 120 page script, uh, they have uh, a Dark Night of the Soul and the, the idea of it that you're in the cave, the Plato thing, that you're in the cave around then, and that's how, um, that's how the character then goes to the next level going through a dark night. And that's the hero's journey. The hero's journey. So, Okay, we're going to talk about uh, some mundane things like money and stock markets and with Charles Nenner. And I think he tried to get in a moment ago, so we're going to probably just pick up real quick, just um, take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. And we're going to talk about stocks and stuff and stuff and stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, May the blessings be. I love you all. Take care of yourself. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.